Recycling Tips podcast, everybody. My name is Abby Mickey. I am here to talk about bike racing, bike racing related content with me. As always, we have Dane Cash. Dane, hello. Nice hat. Thank you. How are you doing? You know, is it, is it like okay for a ginger to wear a red hat? I, I didn't, don't... I used to not, I used to not wear any red, but then that's very restrictive. Um, no, you can do whatever you want. Yeah. Dane. Also, a lot of like the Phillies, it's the team that I root for in baseball. It's it's all red. So I, I had to eventually just break with that, and I'm I'm happy to have done that. Now I now I wear plenty of of red things. It's not the question: can a, a redhead wear a red hat? It's can a redhead can anybody wear a Liverpool hat? Now, a Liverpool football club hat. Now, I, I, that's controversial. And the thing is, I'm not even a football fan, so I'm just digging digging myself in for some abuse even though I don't even follow football I don't know what you're talking about so is it is a Liverpool that in it game it is look at that yeah (laughs) I had a friend tell me once who was a redhead that he was bummed he would never be able to drive a red truck because he can't have red hair and drive a red truck. <laughs> I, think, I think you can do that. I think it's okay. So everyone just heard shoddy Dave Everett back with us. Also wearing like a very nice shirt. Everyone's so well dressed today. <laughs> We've got to present well, haven't we? Yes. And James Wong. James. Hi, Abby. I have to apologize if there's any background noise in my track today, but you'll find out why in a minute. Yes, you will. Well, how about they find out right now, James? Okay, well, hold on. Let me, let me move my mic here for a second. Okay. Well, Abby, here, hold on. Listen to this. I don't know if you can hear that, but do you know what that sound is? That is the sound of what that is, is it? the sound of relaxation. Because there is a sound for relaxation. Dan, do you want to tell everybody what it is? Uh, you know, I, I'd love to tell everybody what it is, James. Uh, I'm so glad you asked. If you're looking to cut down on hours of rest and recovery as you push for that next level. Think about recharging your legs with Therabody's revolutionary new Recovery Air Jet Boots. Recovery Air Jet Boots are the world's most advanced pneumatic compression system ever created. For years, runners, bikers, and everyone who spends hours on their feet has had to suffer through leg pains and aches after a hard day. Clinically proven treatments like the compression boots pro athletes use have always been out of reach. Recovery Air is a groundbreaking pressure massage for everybody, anywhere. Their body's Recovery Air Jet Boots are the first of their kind, truly wireless for anywhere on-the-go recovery, boosting circulation, and radically reducing muscle soreness. And thanks to Recovery Air's super-intuitive, easy-to-use, one-touch controls, recovering faster is a breeze. Sit back, relax, and recover. Go to therabody.com slash cycling tips to get your therabody recovery air today starting at just $699 or as low as $59 a month with a firm plus with recovery airs 60-day money-back guarantee and free shipping there's no risk that's therabody.com slash cycling tips i guess at the end of the episode james we can ask you if your legs feel sufficiently recharged <laughs> we can do that but i but i kind of want to jump in with a little bit extra too on this can we get a photo of them at the end as well? Because I love seeing like pros Instagram their legs out. We we covered in these as well. Oh, I'm sure I can supply that later. Uh, Dane, did you say that these are wireless? Does that explain why I am not currently connected to the to the wall right now? They are truly wireless. So I I think that explains that. Hmm. 
interesting because uh, I mean, I, I'm a little disappointed. So uh, just to be clear, I'm wearing these right now and I'm going to be wearing these during the entirety of this episode. So I may not have any blood or fluid in my legs left at all by the end of this podcast, but that's okay. That, I mean, that there is an infinity setting on here for, for the duration. So it'll basically just run until the battery runs out. But yes, each one of these things is totally self-contained. It's got a battery and like all the electronics are built into like this little like plastic shoe thing sort of that's on the bottom of these things. But yeah, there's no like big hose or like thing to connect to a big box that you plug into the wall. And there's like there's like wireless controls and it's Bluetooth connected and actually pretty quiet. I'm a big fan. I'm holding up my competitive competitive competitive. Your non your non competitive box, you mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, very cool. I can't wait to find out how you feel at the end of this episode and if you can still walk after using them for an hour or less. Oh, I'll, but- I'll be able to walk but I'll probably be asleep. Like I said, that is, that is, yeah, that is the sound fair. of relaxation. And the other sound of relaxation is snoring. <laughs> well, keep, keep the mic close. <laughs> Should we talk about some bike racing? Sure. I suppose if we have to. Sorry, James. I think we can dive right into, if we were, I think we're going to work backwards here. We're going to start with the most recent race and kind of work our way back to the last podcast. So I want to start with the men's Liège Basson Liège. Dane, you want to give us a quick rundown? Um, yeah. Remco Evenepoel attacked from pretty far out and held on and won. And I think it's a big deal for a lot of reasons. First of all, Remco Evenepoel has been a, a name that we talk about quite a lot uh, for two or three years now. But this was the first time he'd really won a really big race, his first monument. Um, also, it's the first time anybody's won with an attack on La Redoute since I can't remember. Uh, that just hasn't happened in a while. And people have kind of, I don't know, you hear a lot of talk about this race kind of being meh. But I felt like it was pretty entertaining. Uh, the downside to this year's edition was all the crashes. Uh, quite a few people badly injured in crashes. One of them uh, being Julian Alaphilippe, Remco Evenepoel's teammate, uh, who... Went down really hard, uh, unfortunately, and uh, ended up fracturing his shoulder blade. He broke ribs, uh, and he also suffered a collapsed lung. Uh, so not good. Uh, other people as well uh, badly hurt in crashes. So that was the, the big downside from the men's race. But at the end, Remco Evenepoel, good for him. Uh, pulling off that big win, and just nice to see, I think, the, the young rider who, I don't know, people have talked about. You see a lot of press about uh, his uh, meteoric rise, but then, you know, is he really good enough to be worth all the talk? And I feel like it's good for him to get this monument win. I feel like another big question that comes with this win is, did it save Deconic Quick Steps Alpha Vinyl's spring? Because they obviously haven't had a great spring this year, but did this... Did this win save it or was it just kind of a, a really nice ending to what was a forgettable spring for that team? Yeah, I mean, I guess it saved it. I I think with Quick Step, if they're not winning on the cobbles, they're still not where they want to be. Uh, obviously, this is a big race, but it's not the it's not what we expect Quick Step to be doing. And the fact that they consistently came up short in the cobbled classics. Uh, will still sting, I think. 
Uh, they, they, I think that's this is a team that wants to win Flanders and and Flemish classics and and obviously Roubaix. Uh, so it's great for Evenepoel that they were able to pull off the win at uh, an Ardennes race. And I do think it kind of saves the campaign a little bit. But at the same time, I don't know that it fully redeems them because they were so quiet in, in the, the cobbled classics. I'm with Dane on this one. Like it, The attack was absolutely awesome. It was, it was blistering. Apparently, he attacked that hard that his back wheel sprung off the ground. But regarding saving their classics campaign, I'd say it's, it's a no. Just purely because, like, like Dane says, it, they're a cobbled team. They're the ones that you want to see quick step winning when it's crappy weather. You don't want to see them when it's nice and sunny. That's what you want to see the jersey in. And then it's not a race we generally see that team perform well in. And it's one of the, it's horrible to say, one of the lesser classics in it, when Belgian classics. So I, 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 I don't think Patrick Lefebvre will be mega happy with the way the seasons, the classic season's gone, but he will, it will have definitely taken a lot of pressure off the team. There will be that, whew, thank God for that moment after the finish line yesterday, I'm guessing. I think the way that Evanapool won the race might help. I don't know if it's going to reestablish Liège as, as the best and, and most exciting of the monuments, but I think it certainly helps. Uh, I think there had been a sense around the sport that things had gotten kind of stale. People hadn't been attacking much. Uh, the big names, at least, hadn't been attacking much successfully in quite a long time. You generally saw the very, very end of the race is when things happened. And I think that creates this sort of vicious cycle where a lot of journalists treat the race like, well, it's not really the best of of bike races. And so do we really care about it? I, I think you do kind of get that, that that does kind of come into play with the way it's covered. And then that also leads to people being less interested. So it's sort of a vicious cycle where then people are less interested so that even more of that going on uh, and the way that Evan Poole won, um, the way both both races turned out, I think uh, maybe helped a little bit with the with the way that this is a this is perceived, and and hopefully we'll see more of this kind of racing in the next few years, where maybe more big names go on La Redoute, or maybe even earlier. I, su- I suppose as us as uh, foreign media, not not Belgian media, we don't really realize what it does mean to the team because you've just got to look back. A couple of years when Remco was, I think it was it's his first races in Colombia, and like the way they hyped him up, the Belgian press hyped him up. They spent, if I remember rightly, they sent 12 reporters over to Colombia for his first race. So, him winning a classic in the style that he did, even if it wasn't the Cobble Classic, I think, yeah, it's going to be massive news across Belgium. But for us, yeah, it's going to be a we're looking at it completely differently to the Belgian press, I'm guessing. I mean, it's an even bigger day for Belgium because they swept the podium with Quinn Hermans getting second and Wout Van Aert getting third. It was a huge day for Belgium. And honestly, like a very impressive end to the spring for Intermarché Wanty Gobert. They had an incredible spring for not really being one of the uh, noteworthy teams kind of going into the season to end the spring campaign with second at Liege Bastogne Liege is, is pretty awesome. They've already had like uh, let's have a look one, two, three, four, five, six solid wins this year. Mm-hmm. None of them in well, apart from Alcudia, which is part of the uh, 
Mallorca Challenge or whatever it's called now. Everything's been in really good races. It's been like 1.2 Pro or, or World Tour races or 2.2. Yeah, and the the biggest one obviously being Benham Gourmet um, at Gamwebelgem, which is unforgettable. But like a, just such a great spring for them. And if you like look at them compared to some of the other teams, I mean, yesterday, like we can get into the crashes and uh, how that impacted the race. But if you kind of look at the spring as a whole and you look at some of the teams that really failed to come away with anything, there's, you know, Bora Hansgrow had kind of a rough go of it. EF. Another one, uh, Israel Premier Tech and Truck Segafredo, not just kind of not really coming out of the spring with much. Team DSM, the only reason Team DSM have sort of got in the news of Babade yesterday and obviously pulled us out Babade as well. Quick note, uh, it's not, you know, maybe it's not that big of a deal, but Nielsen Palace came in top 10 yesterday at Liege. And the last time, I can't remember the last time an American finished top 10 in a monument. So good for Nielsen for that. That's a pretty big deal. And uh, it's something. He was like the only rider to actually follow uh, Avenipol when he attacked. Like Nielsen was the only one to hang on to his wheel for any significant amount of time, which was really impressive. But he was also basically by himself because at that point, his entire team had gone down in the crash that took down all of Philippe and yeah, they had a rough go of it. Yeah. Like Rigo did a video on his Instagram yesterday after the race. And he kind of just did like a bus tour of all of the, <laughs> all the road rash. And it was like every single one of them had, had skin missing. It was really gnarly. Uh, well, Van Aert impressed me. I mean, I, the fact that he didn't finish second was a little bit surprising. Uh, but he's a rider who you'd think would have the skill set for this race, but had never done it before. Uh, and I think he showed that he absolutely can win this race, uh, depending on you know whether he has enough team support to chase down an attack from Remco Evenepoel. Uh, but the race does suit him pretty well, and I think he did a nice job to finish on the podium and, and uh, to suggest that if he wants to in the future to continue to target this race, I mean, it makes for a very long classics campaign for him. Uh, but I think he's the he's the kind of rider who can eventually win this race one day. What can he not win? Well, can I just bring one last point up? How awesome is Remco's position on the bike? It's, it's superb. He does look very clean. Like it was a highlight of the like day, I thought. Cut. Very fluid, would you say? Fluid there. That sounds way better. Yeah. Suplex. <laughs> Man, those... Therabody leg things are making your brain work. <laughs> well, it's, it's pushing all the fluid into my brain, so. <laughs> yeah, highlight of the day may have been his position, but a low light was definitely that crash. I mean, we kind of touched on it very briefly, but I feel like it's worth mentioning purely because of um, how injured Julian Alphilippe came out of it because he is obviously a rider going into the summer campaign that you we would be keeping an eye on and he was very injured and also because of Bardet and this, the crash was really interesting to me because I was watching with Tom's and Tom's was saying that every single year when they hit that section of the course, he's terrified to crash right there because it's a section of the course where they're always going super fast. I mean, they were going like 70 kilometers an hour when the crash happened. And it's also this part of the road where it just the temperature 
drops suddenly right there. So it was super warm on Sunday, but Tom's has done it when there's been ice on that section. And it was, that was not why the crash happened, but when it did happen, he was unsurprised to see that it had happened there because it's a dangerous part. And, uh, afterwards there was a lot of talk from a lot of the riders in the Peloton about, uh, one rider specifically pulling a dangerous move to move up a couple places in a place where it wasn't really a huge deal and the word disrespect thrown around and stuff. And, uh, it was, yeah, it was a horrible crash. I mean, it took down like the whole Peloton almost, and it ended the race for a lot of teams, a lot of teams, a lot of teams, but it was, it was really nice to see bad day just leave his chances completely on the roadside pardon the pun and go and look after Alaphilippe because he's he's on the form of his life really after that totally outswim to then know that he's, he's probably got the legs to do something at the race and go and check out his uh, fellow countrymen roadside see how he's getting on yeah he rode super well at Tour of the Alps and he said that uh he was that Alaphilippe was conscious when he got to him but he couldn't really speak and there was so many so much going on so many riders down that it took a really long time for the doctor to be able to get to Alaphilippe and um yeah not really anything you ever want to witness in a bike race or in life we, we've always known Barday is a good lad though because he, he come up was it I think it was Bad Day, if I remember rightly. Yeah, Bad Day came up to Dave Rome at Eurobike a couple of years back and was like, oh, you're from Cycling Tips, are you? I noticed your T-shirt. Yeah, you're good website. I read it, I read it, a good website. And Dave's like, oh, thanks, yeah, thanks. And then later on, sent a photo of, oh, this bloke came over and said he liked the website and took a photo of him and said, who is it? And Bad Day was stood in front of the, the Merck's bike stand at the time with like a 12 foot tall photograph of Barday behind Barday and Dave didn't recognize it. I think I've heard that story before and it's just so great. So yeah, Barday like cycling tips, so it's definitely good by us. <laughs> all in all, yeah, good end to the spring. Can't believe the spring is over. The women's race was also also ended in very exciting fashion, Annemiek Van Vluten took a solo victory after attacking twice. She attacked on La Redoute, and she also attacked on, attacked on the Cote de la Rochefon. And the second attack was successful, and she rode solo to the solo to victory with a chasing group of five behind her. Um, I feel like the two biggest talking points coming out of the women's race were Van Vluten, despite this being her first world tour win of the year, which is not something that we have to wait this long to see. Usually it was potentially her best spring ever. I mean, she was second at Strada Bianchi Flanders and, uh, flesh Wallone, and she won Liege Bastogne Liege. So even though she didn't win a bunch of races, if you kind of stack up her results, plus like fourth at Amstel gold, I mean, she just had an incredible, spring regardless of only winning one race which we're so used to seeing her win over and over and over so it's it's surprising to say to look at her results and be like oh this might be her best spring ever but if you kind of look one step down from first 
it's pretty, pretty impressive. And she said that she's doing her best power ever right now, but it's just that there's more competitors in the women's field. So winning is a little bit harder. Well, uh, Amy recently wrote for us a pretty awesome article on cycling tapes. It's called the, is the age of anamique over? Um, which I mean, it, it wasn't really meant to be like as alarmist as maybe some people may have taken it to be. Um, but it, I think it's just more indicative or it kind of talks about more how it's not so much that Anamik is getting slower, but it's just more that the competition is getting better, which I think is an, it, that's an awesome thing if just the entire level of women's road racing is is rising. It just makes it so much more competitive and fun to watch. Absolutely. I mean, it used to be that it was just, you know, Anamik and Anna Vanderbregen who could compete against each other. And now we've got a couple more riders kind of slotting into that uh, top tier of racing. And I think many, many more on the way. And it kind of all boils down to the salary increases and the women being able to focus more on being professional athletes and being elite athletes. Cause for a while, yeah, it was just a, just a couple of them that were paid enough that they could focus on cycling alone. So it's all very cool. And I think her win, this was potentially my favorite Annemiek Van Vluten win ever because she attacked on La Redoute and Marlon Russo was with her having been in the early break. So she kind of had a head start on the climb and then Van Vluten was brought back. So it wasn't one of her traditional 40 kilometers to go rides away. Like everyone else is standing still victories. It was touch and go there for a while, but her attack on the last climb of the day was just incredible. I mean, she attacked for like an, a kilometer straight and there was still a point when she was going where it didn't look like she would be able to get away. And for many, many kilometers after the top of the climb, the gap was pretty small and the group behind her was working quite well. Um, they had two SD works riders in there with Ashley Monpasio and Demi Volering, and they had two FDJ riders with Marta Cavalli and Grace Brown. And so it was, there was like a, oh my gosh, are they going to bring her back? Which is not usually something we see with a Van Vluten attack. So it was, I mean, it was a great race in my opinion. i tell you how good it was. My dad, who I'm actually visiting at the moment, said it was way better than the men's. And that's, mm. that's saying something for 70 I'm not going to give his age of eight seventy-three-year-old <laughs> bloke who's run a run a bike shop for the past what forty-five years. I love to hear that. Yeah, he was well excited by it. The other awesome thing to kind of come out of the race was FDJ because I can seamlessly flow into Flesh Wallone talking about FDJ and how well they're riding as a team at the moment. Uh, at Flesh Wallone. <laughs> There was a break of the break of 15 up the road on the final lap and Brody Chapman and Evita Music, the young French national champion, brought it back very rapidly. They, they brought back like a minute in like 10 kilometers or something insane and just the two of them on the front. And it was it was really impressive. And then their their leader that of the day, Marta Cavalli was able to take her second world tour win in like two weeks, three weeks, um, having won Amstel gold a couple weeks ago. And she, when she beat Van Vluten up the mirror to we, it was like Van Vluten was going all out all over the road, all over her bike. And Cavalli was just 
kind of on a Sunday spin just really easily. <laughs> and she came around Van Vluten like Van Vluten was basically standing still and had so much time to look behind her and look around her and like do a proper post up. And uh, FDJ came into Liege Bastogne Liege with everyone being like, oh, can Cavalli do the triple victory? Can she win all three like Van der did in 2018, I believe it was, or 2017? And so there was all this pressure on Cavalli, but they said, okay, we're going to have two leaders on the day. We're going to have Grace Brown and we're going to have Cavalli. And there was a moment where Brown was up the road. So they were like focused on her, but then she was brought back. And so they were in a group together and the two of them were working the group, which is when it, when in other situations where there's two riders in a group of five, one of them will sit on or one of them will not work as much, but both of them were working pretty hard in that group. And as soon as Cavalli knew that she didn't have a chance at winning anymore, she was working harder and was able to lead out grace to get second. And the team's reaction to grace getting second at Liege Bastogne Liege was the same as Cavalli winning. <laughs> they were all at the podium together, like all cheering for each other. So it's a team that like a month ago, were not a factor in these one day races. And all of a sudden with Amstel gold, they've really like burst onto the scene and we've seen just amazing teamwork from them. And it flesh Wallone and Liege Bastogne Liege were incredible from this French team that started as a development team and then really slowly built their way into a top world tour team. Yeah, I was just just about to ask, like, what is their story? Because as you say, they started off as a, a Futuroscope team several years ago, it was like a development team, into Nouveau Aquitaine, Francis de Jour. And then, yeah, like I say, exploded onto the scene the, the past, well, past couple of weeks more than anything, from what I see at least. Yeah, yeah. I, I tried to get on that team um, in like 20... 14 or 15 when it was only French riders, like only French, I would have been the only non-French rider on the team. Um, because that's what they were. They were just like a local French team that went to a couple of the big races and they've, they picked up, uh, Shara Gillo a couple years ago. And then with her, they had a good result at, um, look course by the tour de France, the, year that it was basically like an uphill mass start <laughs> kind of situation. And ever since then, they've been just growing and growing and growing. And they picked up Cecily Trip Ludwig and she was their star rider for a while. But then they were also able to to pick up Cavalli, who's just an incredible, incredible talent and Grace Brown this year. So just slowly kind of built into a team that is really promising, and I cannot wait to see how they take on the stage races coming up. It, it amazes me because for a team that's based out of Poitiers and that sort, of, yeah, the, well, the the northern area of the Nouveau Aquitaine, that area is not renowned for great cycling. Uh, I used to live up that way, and it's it's nice, but the, you you have to travel for races, you have to go far afield. So yeah, from going from a development team all the way through to what they are now. It's impressive from for a team, not just from not just for their background, but from that from that region. Yeah, I, I think I'm safe to say that, considering I used to live up there, I, I can slag it off. Yeah, that's fair. What about the men's flesh alone? What are the takeaways? Uh, Dylan Tins, I think, getting the win is really 
that's a really big result for him. Uh, he's somebody who's been in big races, had some big successes before, uh, but winning on the mirror is really hard, and it's like there, there's a there's a lot of, of sort of tactical nuance to when you time your your move and and where you are when that happens. But you need to be really strong. At the end of the day, it's like that. That's really what it comes down to. Uh, and I was quite surprised that Tunes was able to to, to do that. Uh, so good for him. Uh, Bahrain getting another uh, big classics win this this year after Mohoric obviously won Milan San Remo. Uh, the, the for me the other big takeaway was that Alejandro Valverde even. At this point in his career, still dangerous. Uh, most other editions, I think he probably takes the win there when he's that close to taking the win. Uh, he had to settle for second, but at age, uh, it's, his, it's his birthday. It's it's Alejandro Valverde's birthday. Wow! At age tw- uh, forty-one, when he did this, uh, he's now forty-two as of the day we're recording this. Uh, that is a heck of a result to finish second on the Mirador. He's still. Uh, he's of course won the race five times. Uh, I, you know, second, it's not a win, and and he would probably have wanted to, you know, in his final season, do a little bit better. But good for him to at least get up there in second. And then Alexander Vlasov finished third. Uh, Bora Hansgrohe, Alexander Vlasov, he had a really nice Basque country finishing third there. Uh, he emerged uh, really quickly when he was twenty three or so, uh, but then didn't really kind of follow up initial success with big wins. And so he's still, he's still kind of looking for the big win, but I think he showed uh, so far this year, uh, maybe a little bit more of what he's really good at. And I think he's going to have some, some high hopes for the rest of the season. Um, he, he won the uh, Volta La Comunita Valenciana uh, to start the season, finish third in the Basque country. So I think good things ahead for, for Vlasov, uh, He's another rider that impressed at flesh. Uh, I think at the end of the day, though, Dylan Tunes is is just a really, uh, I think that's just a really promising result for him. And I'm kind of curious to know what happens to him next year. There's a lot of chatter about where he'll end up uh, after his Bahrain contract ends. So we'll have to see about that. I'm just working out how old people are in the peloton compared to when Valverde got his first pro contract in 2002, I think, with Kelme. So, um, Pej would have been just coming up to three, four years of age, which is bananas. It's unbelievable. Um, yeah, it's a, like everybody's dad in. He could be quite a few people's dad in the peloton. I mean, in the words of Anamik Van Vluten, you age like fine wine. She did say that after after Liege, Bass on Liege, yeah, that she ages like fine wine. So clearly, there's nope. Can't say there's something at Movistar. <laughs> He's, he's been up the murder hoy more, more often than some people have had up dinners, though, isn't he? I think he'll probably keep going, too. I don't see him stopping anytime soon. It'll be a sad day when he does. The spring campaign is over. We're, we're done with it. I feel like it was a really good one, and I'm already kind of bummed that there's no more one-day racing ahead of us. The men have a Frankfurt this weekend, but other than that, um, world tour-wise... We've got just stage races coming up. They've been boring, boring stage races. Yep. Starting Tuesday of this week, there's the Tour de Romandy, which is um, going to be attended by a lot of the riders that competed at Liège, Bastogne-Liège. 
one of the most scenic races on the world tour. If you're looking to have something on the TV, is it just, you know, you get to look at mountains uh, in the background. It's very pleasant. Yeah, Switzerland is great. It's great. And then after that, obviously next week, the Giro, Giro d'Italia starts. Another scenic race. Next week already? Like I say, how is it almost May already? Oh, I've been... the You don't... I don't want to talk about how slowly it's taken to get to May. I don't, I don't know. Like it seems, it really seems like the last nine, it really seems like the ni- last nine months specifically have really flown by. <laughs> this might be my last podcast for a really long time. <laughs> I, I just hope, I just hope we get to the end of this podcast and it doesn't turn out like the podcast where my partner entered labor mid, mid, mid podcast. Let's let, let's speed things up. That was pretty. That was pretty <laughs> iconic. I don't. <laughs> but I still got two weeks to go. As far as the tour to Romandy coming up, Dane, what do we need to know? Well, uh, plenty of big names will be at the tour to Romandy, and that alone, I think, makes it worth the watch. Gary Thomas will be there. Uh, we just talked about um, Alexander Vlasov and Dylan Tuins. They'll be there. Uh, Jumbo Visma is going to have Sepp Kuss there for the American fans. Uh, Brandon McNulty for, for UAE as well. It's kind of nice having some American riders. Uh, according to the official start list, uh, superstar Tom Scoinch will be there for Trek Sigafredo. That's pretty cool. Uh, Australian fans will be happy to know that Ben O'Connor is racing uh, for AG2R. So, yeah, pl- plenty of uh, – there's someone someone for all fans out there uh, at, the, at the Tour de Romandy. And – Ben O'Connor just had a pretty good ride really recently. So. Yeah, he did uh, the Tour de Jura and obviously looking in good form after winning that race. So he'll be hopeful for something at Romandy. Uh, yeah, so it's a great race. I, I actually really like Romandy. There's, um, it condenses a lot into just a handful of stages uh, in that they tend to have, well, there's going to be two time trials, a, a prologue and then a TT to close the race out. There's really high mountains. Uh, it it kind of gets into all the things that you want out of a of a stage race, and it's just six days long. Uh, so, and like I said, the the scenery it's hard to beat. So, I think it's worth watching, and it'll be a good kind of appetizer for the Giro, which is soon. Yeah, stages three and four look particularly awesome. There's a lot of climbing in the well, everything but the prologue. But stage three has some really exciting little points at the end of it. And then stage four is an uphill uphill finish. And the stage five time trial is like a 5.8 kilometer long, just like straight, straight up. It, it just goes, there's like a little bit of flat to begin with. And then it's just straight upwards. So it's going to be a test for sure. All right. That's a lot of bike racing talk. So James, how are your legs doing? Uh, I'm not sure I can feel them anymore, to be honest. They're so relaxed. I may have I may have gone past the point of relaxation to the point of they're just inoperable. Mm. That's what I was afraid was going to happen. I, you know, I, it's a good place to be. I'm so happy right now. But if you were to jump on a bike after, if you were to jump on a bike tomorrow, I'm sure you'd ride really fast. Uh, perhaps, perhaps, or maybe immediately after the podcast, we'll see. <laughs> Apart from your legs, what have you got for us as far as nerd nerd nugget today? Nerd alert! Nerd alert! Nerd alert! Nerd alert! Nerd alert. Uh, well, we have talked a lot in the past about uh, kind of like waxing nostalgic about Campagnolo. Um, I think there are a lot of people who have a soft spot for that Italian brand. 
And in years past, it really has kind of seemed like things maybe weren't going so well. Like I can't remember exactly how many years ago it was now, but they they launched that lower cost Potenza group that was supposed to be like this big OEM volume play to go up against Shimano Altegra. And it kind of just didn't work out that well. Um, so, I mean, there have been rumors floating around for years that Campagnolo just like was on the verge of insolvency and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, for as terrible as this COVID pandemic has been for a lot of things, it's been actually, actually like really, really good for the bike industry. Uh, I'm almost kind of, kind of sad to say. Um, and it's been particularly good for Campagnolo because, um, all of their production is based in Europe. They didn't have a whole lot of supply chain issues as far as like overseas shipping and stuff like that. They just didn't have to deal with as much as other, uh, as maybe Shimano or SRAM has done. Um, and they, they've been talking a lot recently about kind of their bigger ambitions moving forward. They, they recently launched this big marketing campaign. They call it like dream bigger, um, which portends some pretty, uh, I guess, significant product releases to come in the fairly near future. But just looking at their sales figures, so just in the last couple of years, they supposedly have an increase in turnover uh, of like 45%. Um, I mean, their their numbers are really, really quite a lot bigger. And then looking at that release of that Ekar gravel group set that they did uh, not too long ago, I mean, they had nothing in the gravel market at all. So they were basically just a non-player there. Um, but just in the short time that Ekar has been on the market, it's basically taking Campy sales from 100% road with a fair number of mechanical and electronic group sets um, to supposedly one-to-one gravel to road in terms of sales figures uh, in, in really not that long of a time. So like their, their business really has kind of exploded. And this Dream Bigger campaign that they rolled out not too long ago, again, they haven't really talked about any specifics about what that is going to entail. Uh, I did an interview with their chief marketing officer just a few days ago that I'm going to write up uh, this week. Um, but it does sound like they've got an awful lot of products in the pipeline. Um, and certainly not just, you know, it's, the development of those products certainly didn't start just in the last couple of years, but it it certainly sounds like all the worries about Campagnolo going away are pretty unfounded. You know, things things certainly look like they're looking up a lot over there. So, so do we think they learned the lesson from the um, the the late 80s, early 90s, when they missed the boat on the mountain bike scene, they did bring out a mountain bike group set, what's that called, the Mobat? Some, something weird, wasn't it? And it fell flat, it was heavier, not, was, not didn't work quite as well as Shimano, or even Sunto back then. So yeah, hopefully they've learned the lessons from there with the, with the gravel groups, because you see it ev- like everywhere, it's amazing how many places you see it. Like, it's done really well. Yeah, it's like the big, the big bright bands who usually spec Shimano or SRAM, you see this on their bikes now. Personally, and I think probably speaking for a lot of people, Campagnolo's a, a brand you do not want to see fail. It's like the last true Italian brand, I feel. Like Colnago's now owned partly by the UAE um, conglomerate. And it's, it's that last sort of holdout of true Italian passion. I feel, and I think that's what a lot of people feel about the brand. They they don't want it to fail. They want it to succeed, no matter how much people knock it for it. Maybe not functioning as well as Shimano. Uh, but yeah, it's really nice to hear that it's it, it's it, it's healthy. Yeah, totally. And if nothing else, I think it's important for the cycling population on the whole to have 
three major players continue on in the component world instead of two. I mean, it just generally speaking, it's it's just better to have more competition than less. Um, but yeah, I mean, in, in my conversation uh, with with Campagnolo, they did say it, it doesn't sound like they're going to be repeating mistakes of old. Uh, they're not going to be like you know diving into mar- well, basically what they what they said without getting into specifics was that they they're going to continue to concentrate on their strengths and not so much. Uh, dive into segments of the market that they know they can't be competitive. What we what we got to remember is well, it it's the first time well the past two editions of the Tour de France is the, the first time they've won won the Tour on Campagnolo group set since 1999, if I'm not mistaken. Previous to that, they'd won every edition. Oh, maybe some Tour was in there uh, before a couple of times, but yeah, it was either Campagnolo in the '99 Shimano took over with a a certain rider. And then up until um, up until Tej come along and spec'd it on their bikes at UAE. Shadi, is this gonna be like a Harry Potter thing where like like we're gonna refer to him as he he who should not be named? <laughs> yeah, why not? Okay. <laughs> so anyway, that that's what I got for Nerd Nugget this week. I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna write up uh, write that up this week. Uh, it's not just an interview with Campanello. It's also going to include some speculation uh, as far as where I think company is always going and what sort of products they're going to be releasing um and yeah hopefully i'll get that done in the next couple of days so that'll go up live on cyclingtips.com soon I, did they say anything about the shiny shiny potential because that's what everybody oh knows. actually i did specific i did specifically i very specifically asked about a shiny polished aluminum group set and unfortunately that's not going to happen there's just i i know then you know there's just for for as much as we and a certain you know vocal subset of the cycling population clamor for something like that, it, the numbers just aren't there. They're just not. So um, it's certainly not enough to justify a company of Campagnolo size to dedicate resources to making something like that. It's just not. There's just not enough people. I mean, there's me and you and like four other people or something. It's just not enough. Fair enough. Bummer. No polished aluminum group set. So oh well. Polished aluminum with the engraving of the. The classic, classic font and the classic head badge, not not stamped, engraved. That's what we want. Well, I mean, you you could always send your stuff over to uh, I think it's Chris Howard over at Cyclo Retro in, in Australia. You could always do that. That w- it would it would instantly like double the cost of your group set, but it would be so cool. Yeah, yeah, he's a he's a good lad. In is is a link. I I used to live in his brother's house. What? His little little shed in the back of his house. Yeah, long story. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Well, we'll have to save that for another day, Shadi. Well, uh, I look forward to reading that on cyclingtips.com. What a great website. And thank you all so much for listening to the Cycling Tips podcast. We'll be back next week to talk about, well, probably the Giro d'Italia first grand tour of the year coming up really quickly. Does, uh, does that mean I have to take myself out of these Therabody jet boots? Can, can I just stay here and just leave them if running you, for a while? You can do whatever you want. You can do whatever you You're an adult. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not whatever you want, but you can you can sit there. You can continue to sit there if you really want to. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. I, I may have to because I think at this point, like I said, my legs are no longer working. They're too relaxed. Thank you so much for listening to the Cycling Tips podcast. We'll be back next week. Have a great week, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.